Right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing great. Uh, my name is Morgan. I'm our lead pastor here, and that means I get to learn to walk in the ways of Jesus, and I get to help shape and form us in those same ways of Jesus. So we are so glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, I want to give you a special welcome as well. Uh, I believe everyone has certain marker moments of their life, right? We have these certain uh, experiences, moments that are just etched in your mind forever. And uh, one of those for me happened when I was 14 years old, and uh, my dad and I were in the back country of uh, Yosemite, all right? And so we are on, a, on the way for a 60-mile backpacking trip, and we're on the first day. And uh, there's two uh, us two, and then we are meeting up with, I think, nine or ten other people um, who are coming from a different direction. And so the first day was just us two. And my dad and I are definitely outdoors people, but we're also not like brilliant, okay? So as we're going around, uh, let's just say we had a great beginning to the day. And after a few miles, at some point, we still don't exactly know where, we went the wrong direction, all right? And so we get about a mile down the wrong direction and go, uh-oh, like we, we missed our spot. And so start to make our way back. And, you know, through various circumstances, we find our way. But it adds a few hours to the day, and we are just exhausted by the evening, right? So find our spot, pitch our tent. This is where they're going to meet us and eat our dinner. And it's probably like 7.45, 8 p.m. and we're exhausted. So we decide to go to bed, right? That's how tired we were from losing our direction. And uh, as we, you know, put our bear bag up and put some food in the bear canister and actually settle into our tents, I kid you not, maybe 10, 15 minutes as we're starting to go to sleep, we look out our, our uh, you know, kind of the, what is that, the fly cover or whatever, and we see a gigantic bear. Uh, and this was the first time I had ever seen a bear in person. Um, my dad uh, had seen one prior, and it was also the first time I decided to swear in front of my dad because I thought my life was gone. And uh, so we're looking at this bear literally 50, 60 feet away, and he sees us and starts walking towards us. And so the first moment was remembering how we lost our way, and the second moment was knowing that we needed protection in the moment because this bear is literally walking towards us. Now, if you have been traveling with us, you know we're in this series, 66 Words. We are traveling through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it, it's been a really rich series for me. I feel like I've been praying the Lord's Prayer far more often than I normally do. I hope you have been as well. And just as a recap, what we've been walking through is how, what this prayer looks like. So in Matthew 6, uh, there are these different lines of the Lord's Prayer. And we've just been kind of naming uh, how, kind of the theme of that part of the prayer, right? So when Jesus teaches us, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, he's linking us to the Father's character, right? That the all-infinite, mighty God expresses himself to us as Father and loves us to father-to-children relationship. Uh, week two, we really dove into the part of the prayer where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are a people, if you follow Jesus, we're a people who are longing to see all of God's goodness, all of his heavenly goodness come crashing into the earth here and now. It's not just a ticket to heaven theology type of deal. We are looking for that goodness to break in now, and we're learning to align our lives. We're learning to participate in that kingdom now. Uh, we saw a couple weeks back, Patrick, uh, one of our leaders around here, gave a great message on God's provision. Uh, Catherine, a friend of his, joined us as well and really challenged us in the life of whole life generosity. That part of God's provision in our lives also kind of takes us to this uh, horizontal level as well. As we get provided for, we become the open-handed type of people who also help to provide for others. That's how God's, the Father's provision works. Last week in verse 12, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And so we're reminded that our sins, our brokenness, our rupture of relationship before God is mountainous, right? It's uncountable to know how many things we have done to break that relationship with God and break that relationship with others. And so we're asking for forgiveness, right? We are people who recognize our need for God. But then, so that's the vertical, right? But there's this horizontal as well, that as we receive the Father's forgiveness, we're becoming a people that extends that to others. And we said, man, we've got a clog in the pipe of our soul if we're just trying to ask for that forgiveness and yet not extending it to others. And finally, Jesus lands the plane in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And so he teaches us to pray these words. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, And as we've done each week, so let's fill that in. We've actually got kind of two stanzas here. We're going to see the Father's guidance, a la getting lost in the middle of a hike or backpacking trip. It's not fun. And yet we also see here in the second part is we need the Father's protection. All right, so we see this kind of dual aspect of the prayer that we are looking for the Father's guidance in our lives, and we're looking for his protection. Again, the purpose of mapping it out is to get past the roteness that this prayer can become, which is super sad, right? So we want to actually think, what are these words, and let's explore them together. So let's dive into the Father's guidance. Now, three words when we look at the first part of this stanza and lead us not into temptation. Uh, I really see we've been doing key words, right? We're in one verse the whole morning, so it's great to dig in. And so lead us, right? That's an important phrase. Not, and then temptation, all right? So Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us, and he uses this Greek word, espero, all right? Can we say that together, espero? Anybody? There we are, Greek scholars, everybody, good. So the connotation of this word in leading us uh, is actually uh, bring us along, right? Like bring us along. And, and that reminds me of a message that Patrick actually gave a few weeks back, the week before Easter in John 10, where Jesus talks to, about himself as the good shepherd, that Jesus shepherds our lives, and that if you follow him, you're a sheep who learns to listen to his voice and then respond to his Voice. There's this bring along aspect there. And so if we go there, John 10, it's on the screen, uh, verses three and four. It says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So we're not going to unpack that whole message, but one of the most important points that Patrick brought to us was simply that sheep are very vulnerable. And one of the truest characteristics of sheep is that they're vulnerable animals. They need help. They need shepherding. And and Jesus expresses this intimate connection that he wants to have with us, uh, that he cares for and is concerned with those sheep. And he even promises to speak out his voice and you and I can learn to listen and then follow his voice. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are actually asking that the good shepherd would speak his voice and we would recognize our need to follow that voice. Another way of saying it is that we need the mental maps of Jesus. And what I mean by that is the, the world and the picture as Jesus describes it and lays it out is something that as sheep, we begin to say, you know what? I'm gonna trust your man- mental maps rather than mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust that you know the way the w- things should be and the way that the world actually works, even when I can't see it, even when I don't fully understand it. I'm gonna trust your mental maps instead of my own. That's what it means to be sheep and to follow the good shepherd. So a pause moment is just simply, do you really believe that? Like, do you believe you're a sheep 
in need of a shepherd, and not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd. That's how Jesus begins to reveal himself, right? And so that should stop us in our track because most of our culture, most of our world is gonna say, dude, I do life pretty well on my own, right? Like I know how to do that. Um, And what we may not understand is that too is actually a voice. It's a narrative, right? That says you can figure things out on your own, right? That actually doesn't come up from us. We might think it does, but that's actually just a simple cultural voice that says you can, you can figure out how to express yourself and do life on yourself. That actually did not come out of just your human heart. That's actually kind of a, a product of the Reformation, or not the Reformation, the Enlightenment. Uh, a lot of things that go say, hey, in your own logic and in your own reasoning, you can figure things out. So, do you believe instead, though, that you need a good shepherd? Uh, one of the simple ways that I tend to ask for the Lord's guidance is in my parenting, right? And, and instead of letting that just be nebulous, uh, there's a regular moment that happens just about every single night in my home where I need the Lord's guidance, and that's when we put the kids down. So uh, Caleb crashes out a little bit earlier. He's our 18-month-old, and uh, by 7, 7.30-ish, he's down, which is a good thing because when we try to put the boys down together, it is chaos, all right? Because Luke is excited, and he's in that stage where he wants to get up like three or four times in the middle of the night. Like, you parents, if you've been there and you're like, oh man, like it's a whole process to just get them to stay in bed. Uh, and it's a challenge, right? And so if they go down together, Luke will wake up Caleb and Caleb wakes up Luke and it's like this circle that lasts three hours, right? I mean, it is just trouble. And so we put Caleb down first and then we put down Luke. But still what's been challenging me lately is, you know, again, Luke is doing this three to five times a night and we're, you know, we're exhausted by this time, right? And so I'm learning how to ask the Lord for guidance when uh, I need to put Luke back back down because I'll do it nicely a bunch of times, but it seems like he will push the boundaries until there's some consequence over his head, right? Until there's some like, hey, if you do this, like no books tomorrow, right? Like all these things start coming out of me and and, come on, just do it. Like stay down, right? I mean, it's that sort of thing. And I don't think I'm the best in those moments, right? And, And so I'm asking for the father's simple guidance in a very mundane and everyday event to say, how do I do this without just putting another consequence over his head? Right? Like, how do I do this? Because it seems like he pushes until I do that, right? And, and I don't think that's best. And so I'm learning to pray, lead us not into temptation, right? Simple, mundane things. And I think these are the type of moments that, that we probably all have in various contexts where we're hopefully learning to listen, like, man, I, I need the Lord's leadership. Where do you need that? Jesus painted a picture that we need that over all of our lives. Uh, but where do you have acute where you sense the acute need, right? Like a pain point in your life where you recognize like, yeah, like I need the Lord's guidance there. That's what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And hopefully those pain points can give you a picture to your whole life that's saying we need him. And so in this prayer, we're saying, Lord, don't lead us there, right? Don't lead us towards temptation. Don't lead us towards the things that will break us. Uh, again, a key word here, that temptation is the word perasmos, all right? And it has the connotation of a trial, of a temptation, or a test. And we do not have time to unpack all the temptations and tests of life, right? They are in the millions, right? But what we can do is uh, look at the scriptures and look at another story where that same word, perasmos, shows up in the life of Jesus, actually at a critical crucial time. So go to Matthew 4 if you've got a Bible in front of you. If not, we've got words here as well. It says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, there's that word, by the devil. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's like the understated duh moment, right? So there's this word tempted there. That's, and Jesus is in a position where he's extremely vulnerable. Right? He's extremely vulnerable. The Spirit of God leads him out into the wilderness, but actually think desert. Okay, this is in Palestine, so think barren desert. And he is fasting for 40 days and nights. That is a very vulnerable position. He was tempted to be hangry, right? We all know hangry is a real thing. In my house, sometimes Caleb needs a snack, sometimes Luke needs a snack, and sometimes even Daddy needs a snack, right? Like, it's that point where it's like, I am hangry, and Chris like, knows it. Morgan, it's time to eat something, right? Like you're having some challenges. Jesus is tempted to be that. He's not, but he is tempted there. More seriously though, he's confronted by uh, the enemy, the devil. And everything in scripture points to a real person. So if you're here and you're exploring the faith and you're trying this whole Jesus thing on, yes, I believe that Jesus is interacting with a real person. The scriptures seem to point that way pretty clearly. Um, so I recognize that might be a stretch for some of us in the room, but hang with me. Don't, don't check out just because of that. Uh, but it is clear that it's not supposed to be a metaphorical idea. All right. So he's out in the wilderness. He's fasting. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What's he doing here? Like, what's the temptation from the devil? What is he questioning? And it's identity, right? Like the key question is identity. If you are the son of God, right? If you're the son of God. And so what I wanna argue this morning is that although there are many, many, many temptations that we can't list here, most actually stem out of places of identity in us that we've self-constructed or, or that are off, right? So the evil one is trying to kind of figure, make him question his identity and his understanding of his identity. And, and there's even a specific identity challenge that he brings to Jesus, and it's the challenge of relevance, all right, it's the challenge of relevance. Henry Nouwen names that. Will you matter, Jesus? Will you be able to meet people's basic needs? If you can turn these stones to bread, you are proving that you can do that. And I would argue many of us struggle with that same question. Like, like do I matter? Does my life matter? Does my vocation, will it make a difference in this world? Will it contribute to something beyond me? That's what Jesus is, or that's what the tempter is trying to tap into. And so he's questioning the relevance. And so let's see what happens out of that. Now, thankfully, prior to this scene, Jesus had just had something really profound happen in his life. It's in Matthew 3, uh, right before Jesus is baptized. And at, the baptiz at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit drops and, and re represents itself in the dove. And then he hears the literal voice of the Father echoing from the heavens, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so the father has spoken over Jesus in an authoritative way, right? So thankfully that had just happened, and then the spirit leads him out to this uh, temptation period. This test, though, is really the same as Adam and Eve. If you know the stories of the scriptures, Genesis 1, the opening scenes, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Adam and Eve are in this perfect relationship with God, and yet in Genesis 3, the serpent comes, who again is the tempter, to tempt Adam and Eve to not listen to the voice of, the, of God, but instead to question that same voice. And really this is a test of what voice are you listening to? What voices are most authoritative in your life? It's as simple as that. It's not about stones and bread. I mean, yes, that's, that's what's happening in the moment, but this is a much deeper thing going on. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And so Jesus rebuffs the temptation by saying, look, out in the desert here, I've come to learn, (laughs) and he probably already knew it, but he's come to learn experientially that something other than just food can sustain him. The word of God sustains him as well. And again, how many of us look to our jobs, our families, our friends, the things we do, the possessions we have to attempt to prove our relevance? That's what Jesus is rebuffing in that moment. And it should lead us to pray things like, lead us not into temptation. Because those are roads where we try to prove our relevance and a lot of brokenness can happen in those places. So we got strike one to Satan. There we go, verse five. So the, the devil's not done, says the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, once more, we have an identity challenge. If you are the son of God, right? So that's, that's the re- refrain here. But it's a different angle on his identity. It's the angle of spectacle. It's the angle of popularity. It's the angle of appearances and prestige, right? That's what Jesus is being tempted by. Will you get your identity from those sorts of things? And it's a bit scary because Satan is actually using some scripture to tempt Jesus. He's even using a a messianic passage, a passage that would speak to the rescuing one. Uh, They had a very conquering king mentality. They thought that the Messiah, the one who had rescued the Jewish people out of Roman subjugation at the time, that he would be a conquering king, right? And so he's saying, look, look at all the fans you will have. Like, this will put you right to the top. If you go to this very public place, jump down, have your angels catch you before you land, man, imagine all the fans, Jesus. Imagine all the popularity. Man, people will be flocking to you. Is there anyone who's an Olympic junkie out there? Anybody? Any Olympic junkies? All right, we're only a year away from Summer Olympics, okay? So hold on tight. It's coming. And one of my favorite things, of course, is the uh, Olympic diving. Man, like the twists and the turns that those people can do in midair from 30 feet is unreal. Satan is tempting him to be a great Olympic diver from the top of the temple and to be caught by his angels. Now, you might be sitting here and you may or may not care much about public attention. Some might be more wired to care about that, some maybe not. Uh, But my guess is that every one of us has certain circles of relationships that you really care about and that you really care about impressing those people. That you care about what they think about you. And what's even funny is sometimes you can care about people you don't even all that much like or love and care about their opinions far too much, right? If we're honest with ourselves. Again, this is what I mean by this popularity, by this spectacle, by those sorts of things. Some of us allow other people's narratives and opinions to drive our actions far too much. So Jesus responds in verse seven. It's also written, do not put, your Lord, put the Lord your God to the test. And fascinatingly, Jesus quotes a different scripture and he does so rightly. Uh, and, and that word there, test, is ek pirazo, which actually is that same pirasmos, it's that verb with an ek in front of it. So there's a real strong tie here to what we're talking about. So he is unfettered, he is not after popularity, he does not need spectacle. Again, he has the voice of the Father dwelling in his heart and in his mind, and that is his secure identity. There is strike two. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
And what's fascinating here is it's still an identity challenge, but he doesn't say that if you are the son of God, right? He's even kind of using the back door to trick him in some way. And and so all that's needed in return for all the kingdoms of the world is to worship Satan instead. You can be the one controlling all the chess pieces. And this, of course, is the the challenge of power or control. That's the identity uh, thing that, that the tempter is trying to get at. And knowing many of you in the room, I and mean, some of you I, I don't know well, but many I do, uh, most of us that I do know aren't really seeking uh, you know, political ambitions of the top offices or, or the UN office or, or the Fortune 500 companies, all right? Most of us in the room are probably not. Maybe most of us are not beco- trying to become an elite athlete a la LeBron James, who not only is a great basketball player, but has this immense empire outside of it in marketing and investments and business and oh, you know, the one billion lifetime contract that he has with Nike, like not bad on the side, right? So I understand that most of us are not after those things. But power and control uh, are something that, that we can become seized by in, in very, again, simple and even mundane ways. Uh, it's simple to seek power and control through attempting to secure financial security, right? I will build walls around me so that nothing will go wrong uh, through my possessions. And in doing so, oftentimes we can no longer be open-handed with others, right? Power and control is far more insidious than we think, even if we're not after these great wild ambitions. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so we see strike three. The devil left him and angels came and attended him. And so if these angels needed to attend Jesus, uh, we're imagining a pretty hard circumstance that he has just been through against the evil one. Jesus has withstood this test and he has remained secure in his identity. He's resisted the angel and I would argue still highly relevant challenges like we've mentioned, relevance and popularity and power. And so for you, and there are many others, these are just the three that kind of were zoned in here with Jesus, but do you see any of these threads as challenges for you? Do you see any of these things in you? Uh, This should color our prayer, lead us not into temptation. It's much wider than just individual wrongs, which it certainly also includes those, Uh, but there are bigger and deeper things going on. And so if you do sense some of those things, don't try to fix anything yet, all right? We're not, we're not moving there just yet. Simply pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. And now we can also shift to that final stanza as we reflect on the Father's deliverance, right? But deliver us from the evil one. Uh, the, the but, the first word there, uh, links a contrast, right? So Jesus, don't, God, don't lead us down this way, right? Lead us not towards temptations, but instead do this. Please deliver us. And again, that Greek word, the deliver us from evil is a hugely important one. Um, and there are some challenges with the translation in the sense that it'll say evil one, and some translations will say evil. The challenge is the literal words there are the evil. And, and so in one sense, uh, if it's a personification of evil, it should be translated evil one. And yet if it's not, if the the is more broad, then that's how you get just deliver us from evil. So maybe you've heard both versions. What I'll try to do is just simply try to nuance a little bit of both, okay? So I'm gonna try to do that for us. Let's unpack that first word though, delivered, all right? Delivered is the Greek word ruomai, and the, connection, the connotation is to rescue or to snatch up. And when I hear that language snatch up, I'm again reminded back to John 10, right? The good shepherd 
with sheep who need to be snatched up. The snatching up often happens when a sheep is going towards a cliff and literally needs to be rescued and snatched up. It can also happen when a predator, a wolf, something is going after that sheep. A good shepherd will run, protect them, and snatch up that sheep. And so I believe Jesus used this language very purposefully uh, to, to use that type of connotation of being snatched up. And this is a different sort of prayer, right? If we need to be snatched up, it's saying, God, I cannot do life on my own. I need deliverance. I need to be snatched up. I need to be brought along. And so this prayer might be offending you a little bit because again, it's painting a picture where, where we shouldn't think we can do life on our own. It's a recognition that we need deliverance in our lives. If we think, hey, we're a good person, my life is all right, there is temptation, there is challenge at your door, and you are gonna need to be snatched up because you're actually operating in a way that's saying, I can do life on my own. You're actually exposing yourself. You're actually becoming more vulnerable than if you're coming from a place that says, man, I need the Lord's guidance and I need the Lord's deliverance. From who? From the evil one. So let's talk the evil one first, that, that nuance. Because uh, I'm in the mood to talk about Satan, right? I mean, that's a, that's a around the tabletop conversation with coffee, right? That's normal stuff. So again, I understand you might be exploring the faith this morning. It might be strange at that wilderness picture that we painted. Uh, but again, I, I would encourage you, stick with me. Uh, I understand you might be saying, I'm not sure I believe in that or I know I don't believe in that. Here's what I would say is hang with me. Because the Bible paints a picture where, where there's a force behind evil, that it's not just random or, or whatever. So, so travel with me and see if it tries it on. I think the biggest challenge to this real person called Satan, this real person called the evil one, is simply, is there a supernatural reality, right? If the world is just about naturalism, then yeah, the idea of Satan is totally crazy. But if there is a supernatural realm, then it's on the table that God and angels, that demons and the evil one, that those sorts of entities actually exist, right? And so stick with me because if you make space for the supernatural realm, we can start to take the person of Satan and the evil one seriously. So we're going to do that this morning. Uh, so I want to give you just kind of shoot off a few different arrows in a few different directions, kind of like I did last week for forgiveness, hoping that a few of them stick and are encouraging or challenging to you. And, and so the first one is simply that uh, we often will make Satan more powerful and even less powerful. So some of us make Satan too powerful than he actually is, and some of us will tend to make Satan less powerful than he actually is. And so I'm going to try to help us there. Uh, the first thing is that if you think Satan is an omnipresent being, uh, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Satan is not behind every bush, and he's not behind every twist and turn. You do not have to constantly pray every, at every intersection as though your life is going to pass away, okay? You don't have to do that. I believe you're actually being superstitious if you let Satan become an omnipresent being. Um, and, and in doing so, we're giving him too much power. The scriptures say that God is the only being who's omnipresent. All right? Even other angels on things, they are not omnipresent. Only God has that power. Now, Satan is also, the scriptures are clear that Satan is more powerful than you and your will alone. Look at what these scriptures say, a couple that just come to mind. First John 5, it says, we know that we are the children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's a broad statement. That's pretty powerful. Like, what's going on there? In God's sovereignty, he has allowed the evil one to have serious authority. When Satan tempts Jesus, I will give you the powers of the kingdom. You can be the conquering messianic figure. I'll, I'll give you all of it. It seems that the temptation was actually legitimate. 
Like, like it wasn't just false words. So he has control over the world in some very powerful way. First uh, Peter, Peter teaches Christians to do this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there's a very real enemy who's looking for weakness and vulnerability and is doing stuff in the world. Okay, so that's the part where we should say, wow, like there is a real entity and, and that real entity, that person is more powerful than me. But here's the other corrective is Satan is not more powerful than the God who dwells in you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if the spirit of God resides in you, now there's a new equation. So back to 1 John 4, 4, it says this, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world, right? So there is a power equation that's different. So on your own, Satan is more powerful than you. And yet with the spirit of God dwelling in you, then you have a force and a person working in you that is more powerful than that force and that person. Does that make sense? That's the corrective there. Verse, first uh, Peter five, nine. So the verse after the previous one we read, resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Peter is encouraging those Christians to actually resist the evil one. And so in that, unless it's false words, if there's actual purpose to that command, which I believe there is, you and I can access the person and the power of God in us to begin to resist the evil one. And we often do that in community with each other, right? So does that make sense? I'm trying to do this back and forth because that's really what's going on. This very real issue that Peter brings up of people uh, suffering for their faith right now, uh, there's never been a time where there's more Christian persecution throughout the world. Like people are right now dying for the faith more frequently than ever before. Like there's a very real stuff going on. We, we support some churches in uh, South Asia, some church planners there who are starting churches in unreached people groups. And these people are on the front lines of these sorts of persecutions. One guy came to faith, his dad was the first to come to faith in his village and his legs were broken and they were kicked out, right? And that's like, he got, he got out without losing his life. <laughs> this is powerful stuff. A final thing about Satan, he does not create things. Satan is not a creator. He's a destroyer. And so what that means is that Satan works through twisting, through lying, through defrauding, through destruction. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And the father of lies takes us back to mental maps, right? It's the concept of inception. I'm a huge fan of that movie, if you've ever seen it. Not that it has anything to do with theology and correct thinking, all right? So I want to say that. But this idea of the power of an idea, right? The power of an idea that gets into your mind that you then operate your life out of. That's what I mean by mental maps. And, and so if Satan is a father of lies, that means there are ideas that can get lodged in us and with us that we begin to operate our lives on, and that's when it goes awry. And in the same way, we can operate our lives on, on good thoughts, on true things, on things that align with Jesus and his kingdom. And either way, we're building our lives on something, right? So you can build a city on a lie and you can build a city on, on a good foundation that is true and right and beautiful. And that's what's going on here that Jesus is saying. Satan does not create things. He twists and manipulates and, and destroys and brings things down. And that's why our identities, we have to know what, what are our identity markers and which ones are really from the Lord and which ones are, are, are a mess. It should shed some light on the addictions that we end up giving ourselves up to. 
If we boil down addiction, it's seeking a satisfaction, an intimacy, a hope, and a fulfillment in other things, whether it's substances, whether it's media or pornography or drugs or certain activities. We give ourselves over to these things and we are, are taking control, they take control of us. Does that make sense? It's an authority piece. It's a voice piece. And so according to Jesus, Satan is the father of lies. And, and, and so we're often actually attacked or undermined uh, through an indirect attack rather than a direct one. Does that make sense? That's how Satan can lodge stuff in us. Uh, and so this is not a comprehensive teaching on the evil one, but hopefully some thoughts to chew on. Uh, briefly here, deliver us from evil, right? A little bit more of the broader perspective. The evil we see in the world, again, according to the scriptures, have personhood behind them. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six. He says, for our struggle is not, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people that we can touch and see and feel. It's not against that. But instead, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? It means that the kingdom, there are different competing kingdoms. The evil one has a kingdom and it's opposed to who God is, to his rule and to his reign. It's a belief in a supernatural realm, again, with many entities that are actually operating and affecting things. And what I'd like us to simply consider is that we're, I would argue we're most conscious of our personal evils, the, the things where we're off, and we can very much miss the systemic evils. We can miss systemic evils, collective practices, and beliefs. Because when we pray this prayer, but deliver us from the evil one, we should be very conscious of the systemic uh, evils that root, their root themselves in the way things are, right? So race and economic disparity, power systems and privilege, misogyny, sex trafficking, and the way that easily accessible pornography actually fuels that, right? It participates in that. Rampant consumerism, right? And on and on and on. There are many systemic evils. And so when we see these systemic evils, we should be a people who are crying out, Lord, deliver us. Deliver us from this evil. And so we learn to pray the Jesus prayer that we talked about last Sunday as well. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. A couple steps for us this morning. So if we're taking this prayer seriously to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, uh, it, it, again, it assumes that we need help. And, and I would argue that isolation is a key uh, way that, that we can uh, really give ourselves over or give us ourselves over to become more tempted, all right? Uh, and so really, I, I wanna encourage you, who knows some of your stuff? Right? Are there people that know some of your temptations? Uh, right now, for me, I'm experiencing that probably most powerfully in uh, what we call our discipleship huddles around here. Uh, there are people that we're regularly texting and, and in the scriptures with and opening our lives to, confessing our brokenness uh, and, and inviting, even before we've made bad decisions, we're saying, hey, I, I could use some help around this area. Right? So I am known right? I'm not isolated. Uh, there are people even beyond my wife. There are others who are loving and serving me, and I am loving and serving them, and we are in the trenches with one another, right? So one step in this process is check out a group, hang out with somebody. Hopefully, you have access to people who truly know you and tr know the, some of the temptations of your life. Final step, 
maybe this is a step back and it's really a prayer over all of this. One thing I'd want to encourage you, over the last five weeks, we've been unpacking this thing called the Lord's Prayer, and I hope it's been enriching. But what I would want to encourage you to do this week is as you start to work through the prayer, instead of just saying all the words of it, my hope is that you would actually start to learn how to pray this prayer in a way where you pause at the end of each line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as you do that, maybe God will start to grip you in. Man, I just need to to bless God. I, I just need to recognize him for who he is for a few minutes. And you just rest there in that stanza. Maybe then you move on to the second one. As you work your way around the Lord's Prayer, you, there might be a specific stanza that the, that the Lord just brings you back to, like, I am full of unforgiveness. God, let me camp there. Does that make sense? So instead of just going through it rotely, my hope, my, my desire for our community, for myself, for all of us, is that we would learn to pray the Lord's Prayer and allow the Spirit of God to grip us in the places where we're really struggling and where we need to camp. Would you pray with me as we close? Thanks for checking in to the Serve Community Church podcast. If you're interested in more information on how to connect with our community, feel led to support us in any way you can or have any further questions, check us out online on social medias like Facebook or Instagram or at our website at servecc.org.